you are at Founders FAQ, answers to all the possible questions of a founder. I think that the most important thing you can do is to make sure that you're latching on to a pain, not technology, product, or other things. That there's some pain in market that you recognize. Other people might also have recognized it, but it can only be the pain. The pain will never change. The solutions for how you remove it or alleviate the pain can obviously change many times as uh, technology kind of advances, but it must be the pain. Welcome to Founders of AQ. Today, my guest is Dennis Mortensen. He is the founder and CEO of X.AI which is AI-powered scheduling network. Dennis has raised more than $44 million for X.AI. And previously, he has founded multiple companies and he has multiple exits. Dennis, welcome to Founders of AQ. It's really great to learn from you because you're an exceptional founder. So, shall we start? Let's go for it. Anything entrepreneurial, I am very easy to persuade to participate. This is where I spent my whole life on. That's great. So, my first question is, how should founders understand they are the right fit for the product that they are starting with? I think which might be just uh, what you asked, but it might not be. But the most important thing you can do is to make sure that you're latching on to a pain, not technology, product, or other things. That there's some pain in market that you recognize. Other people might also have recognized it, but it can only be the pain. The pain will never change. The solutions for how you remove it or alleviate the pain can obviously change many times as uh, technology kind of advances, but it must be the pain. So it could be if I look at my fire venture, for example, for where we did predictive analytics for media, I was really in the business of removing the pain that came attached to that of being an editor at a major news media destination and trying to pick what stories to carry on their own pace. If it takes CNN, that eight people fully employed, doing this 24-7 with about 150 updates a day, that's a pain. Now, how do we go about doing that? We certainly had plenty of ideas for how to do that, but it was the pain we got married to. So that's, I think, is extremely important. Now, if that is what you meant, then I certainly see some advantage of having intimate knowledge, if not having been intimately exposed to the pain, so you're not uh, two steps removed from it. Because you telling me how to become a great basketball player is probably going to help me. Me trying to become a great basketball player, if that's what I want, is probably what's going to help me. So I personally tend to be a fan of founders who solve for pains that they are intimately related with. It doesn't mean that you need to be in that particular field. I still think there's plenty of value 
in outsiders arriving, but you need to have intimate knowledge of why it is a pain and why your your naive outsider knowledge might actually be a breakthrough. Yeah. Yes, you're saying that founders should stick with the problem that she's solving. And that way's hot track record of her is important to solve this problem effectively. So there's the there's two schools of thought. There's probably an infinite amount of schools of thought here, but there's certainly the uh, Peter Thiel, Y Combinator school of thought, which is that you only do a startup if somehow you figure out there's a thing missing in the world and you can't live without you doing it, and then you lean in. That's uh, honest. Then there's the other school of thought, which is that entrepreneurship could be a lifelong career. And if it is a lifelong career, one would expect that the more you try to perfect that career path, the better you'll become at it. Like a professional soccer player. Over the years, you try to perfect your skill, and on year zero, you are kind of naive and uh, kind of bumbling around, and on year 10, you're a pro. So that's certainly my belief which is that entrepreneurship probably is a lifelong career choice. And the longer you do it, the better you become at it. You shouldn't immediately relate that to the idea of uh, repeat founders becoming more fundable and what have you. I think that's a separate discussion. This is the internal discussion with you and you yourself on how do I think I can become a better player. I'm 24 years in. I think I'm better today than I were that first year out of college when I started my first venture. And there's plenty of things I would like to believe I picked up over the last couple of decades. A side note to that, which is why I would also believe that people who think you would only do a startup if somehow there's some sort of calling for it should kind of come to my side, which is that if we do believe there's some reasoning around VC as an industry, then uh, you must somehow look at that as a funnel for where some fund at whatever stage they invest at will look at a thousand companies, seriously do some due diligence on, take some 10x smaller number, say 100, perhaps divvy out some 30 term sheets and perhaps sign a 27. Of them. And then expect of the 27, two or three will pay back that fund. You know how that funnel looks like. Uh, there's no kind of uh, news to that. But if that looks like this, how naive can you then be as a founder to believe I'm going to do one startup, I will circumvent this funnel, jump straight to the bottom and be the one winner? Yeah. That seems a little unrealistic. You should probably believe that of all these people which they selected, they even tried at every step to pick the better ones. So these aren't even just a, it's not even a random plot. This is a selected plot of, of perceived winners. Now, how do I then replicate that? So I can't run the four-year fund, or however long they would like to spend on investing that X amount of million dollars. But what I can do, I can run the 50-year fund. So I'm halfway into my 50-year fund. I can't really do 20 investments. I can probably do about 10. 
I spend about five years on each. If I look at the four prior ventures of mine, on average, I spend exactly five years-ish on each, but I'm halfway in. So that's kind of a side note to why I believe it probably should be a lifelong calling and you should turn it into a career and you must expect that most of the plays you do will end up negative, but a few of them, just like people on the other side of the fence, will pay back for the ones that didn't work. I went on a little rant there. And how to scale the solving process of the problem, like scaling yourself or the solution that you're solving? So scaling yourself, and there's probably plenty of titles that will sound different, but really describe the same thing. And for me, that is you just accepting the fact that the job I have on January 1st cannot be, if there's any progress in our startup, be the job I have on November 1st. So if you just accept that, now your job is to figure out, well, if I know it's not what it is now, what can I then imagine that it will be? And what uh, prep can I go apply? So when that job arrives, I'm not completely naive to it. I do think uh, that is different from venture, venture to venture, given both the velocity of progression, the industry you're in, whether you are trying to tackle a market challenge or an R&D challenge. So there's, I think, multiple dimensions that come into play, but it's certainly the one for where if you have already accepted the fact that your job is different and if you have spent no time trying to then define what does different then look like, then you're about to stumble into a unpleasant surprise. It doesn't mean you'll get it right, but you should get it correctly right so that you are reasonably well prepared if it's one of, if it's a market challenge of having to build up a 50-man sales team. And if that is one of the primary challenges, well, I'm probably not going to commit much code to production at that point if it's all about sales quota. So there's a set of skills I need to pick up here if that is the type of company that you're building. And of course, yeah. that list is long. Yeah. And, and how to scale your team in this process? So of all the people I've hired over the last coming up 24 years, if I were to pick one thing mm -hmm. for where it didn't work out, and you obviously only hire people for where you are dramatically optimistic that they will be an active participant in your venture, never as a filler, especially in the early days where you might even fund it, out of either savings, cash flow, little seed money, whatever that might be. That thing would be, and I'm not sure I got the best description for it, but I keep coming back to them not fully understanding what a startup is. And perhaps you can uh, help me kind of write the title for it or come up with a subtitle, a subheader for it. But if I was kind of come back, it was never a, I hired for a back-end infrastructure engineer with a high skill set on Scala. That is always true. We never really hired one for where, oh, so you're more of a front-end guy who worked in React? No, that, that is not where we kind of stumble. It is one for where they've told themselves that upon having read enough articles on TechCrunch or whatever the uh, startup news destination is 
at that particular moment, I now know what it is. And this is not about, oh, you work longer hours, or there's uh, less processes in place, or this is more chaotic, I have more autonomy, uh, I'm not being told what to do at all times. There's all the obvious things. You know, it's the subtleties that comes attached to what is happening when you pick a number below 30 people, which if you haven't done it before, it's actually not easy to imagine or easy to read up on, on enough blogs so that when you do arrive, you know exactly what you signed up for. Most people sign up for the fantasy, kind of like, hey, I also want to be in the Rolling Stones. And uh, the next question, do we play the guitar, Dennis? Yeah, a little bit. I don't really know what it means to go on tour until you've done it. And I don't think people who's not done a startup yet really knows what it means to go on tour. And that is where I am yet to find a good test. We've got plenty of things we put in place to make sure that when we interview people, we get the answers that we're looking for so that if I'm hiring for a particular marketing position or a sales position or engineering position or data science position, I am reasonably assured that they got the qualifications that I'm looking for. But I haven't found yet the perfect test, I think. Mm-hmm. I have a few little kind of tricks up my sleeve that I try to apply to see if they are ready for the zero to 30 is part of the journey. I think it becomes a little easier kind of post that because then most processes are kind of replicas of other processes in other companies that you might well have been exposed to. So if you're a customer success person at Slack, you can probably be a customer success person at Uber without uh, kind of being too kind of baffled by what one job requires over the other. Mm-hmm. I get it. And you set up the team and now you're setting up the culture. Uh, what are your top picks uh, for the culture? And do you think the culture mostly related with the founder or the mostly related with the product? It seems to me that the culture is born out of the group of founders and early employees. So a group of five, six, seven people becomes the manifestation of whatever culture you have for the foreseeable future, if not forever. As in, it's nearly impossible unless you become this kind of multi-decade type company for where at some point you are able to kind of bend it slightly to the left. But it becomes very difficult. That, I think, is founder early team driven for better and worse and whether you try to design around it i think you can almost not escape it or perhaps i've not been able to escape it so uh, you know i'll read that uh, chapter and see whatever person why said and get a get an idea of how to potentially escape it if that's what you want but i don't necessarily think it's a bad thing if you believe what i said before of entrepreneurship being a lifelong career you should have figure out over time what particular values can be in service of a uh, prosperous startup. Yes, and to scale the team, uh, basically you need a capital. And so you have raised more than $40 million for X.AI and you have tons of experience with VCs. And what do you recommend to founders about the right approach to start a fundraising? I would recommend that 
they immediately start to look at fundraising as a straightforward sales process. There's nothing magical about it. You are selling something and you're trying to find some bias. And if you don't have a funnel, how do you imagine you're going to close something? That you're going to stumble into somebody who will write you a $2 million check? That just doesn't happen. So if you're selling something, certainly the first thing you would like to figure out is who is it that I'm selling to? So that's your prospect pool. So if you don't even have an idea of who is supposed to invest in my company, you are probably uh, slightly lost. Once you have a good idea of the prospect pool, you should be able to fill that up with a large amount of people which you now need to qualify or disqualify, like any other sales process. Once you have disqualified somebody for you being out of their particular geography, out of their particular state, out of their particular theme, however you choose to disqualify them, most of your work should be on disqualification so that you now end up with a pool of leads for where, well, they should want to invest. There's all sorts of reasons for why they won't, but they should. Then what do the next set of steps look like? The next set of steps probably look like some introduction into that particular firm. You won't turn up on first email for a Monday morning partner meeting. Hey, I'm looking for $2 million. Can I come by Monday so we can get this done? It just doesn't work like that. It works like, again, any other sales process where you probably need to meet up with uh, the loosely affiliated entrepreneur in residence who might then introduce you to the principal who's two years out of some MBA degree and you're 15 years older than him, who might introduce you to the associate, who might introduce you to the most junior partner, who might introduce you to the deciding partner, who might allow you to come in for the Monday morning meeting or whatever it looks like. But my point being, you should at least try to figure out what does your funnel look like? If you have no funnel, you're just stumbling around, hoping for money to arrive, and that rarely happens. That's one advice. The other one, again, if it is a sales process, well, any sales process will have a duration from initial high and low to you closing it. Help. Most of my ventures have been in B2B. There'll be, if I take my last venture, some average on eight and a half months. It's not that for venture funding. Venture funding is probably, as you start to work it, pick some amount, call it 90 days. But it's only 90 days once you've done all the prep work. But you should expect it to be a prolonged period. And I would suggest if this is what you want to do, and if you think hard about why you want to do it, you and me could talk about that at length. Uh, two of my ventures have been entirely bootstrap, and two have been VC back. So I've got opinions on, on both sides. What you should expect is that this is a full-time job, because there is no price for almost doing it. This is just a Boolean outcome for where I almost raised capital. Oh, so you didn't raise any? No, I didn't. Okay, so... There's no story for you almost having raised a C-bound. You just didn't. So you should probably over-invest to the degree for where you tell your co-founders that I can't be an active participant outside of you providing me material, up-to-date stats, up-to-date extracts, whatever meetings I need to participate in needs to be outside of these hours because 
my full-time job now is to close this round. Mm-hmm. If I do it faster, great, then you see me again. Because doing it half-assed, you probably shouldn't even do it. And then you should just uh, continue to see how long you can go on cash flow and hope somebody walks in your front door because you're doing so well that uh, they want to do something with you. You summarize it really well the way most of the founders do not assume it is a sales process, but basically it's pretty much sales process. And the founder raises money and the time comes for a pivot. So what will be the right approach to pivots? How do they understand they need to make a pivot? You will get plenty of input here. So I'll provide a different one to the ones that you'll hear. One I'm I'm just not a fan of the idea of a pivot. That doesn't mean that you can't uh, rethink your approach and you will then say, Dennis, that's a pivot, you idiots. But let, let me explain. I think if you let on to a pain, there can be no pivot on that pain. So if I set out to remove the meeting scheduling pain, that's my mission. I assemble the team on solving that particular pain point. And we will live or die on that mission. It's not like you agree in the early 40s that we're going to invade Poland. And then on our way there saying, you know what? Forget it. Let's do Sweden. That's retarded. As in, you either just drop that mission or you lean into it. Those are the only two things you can pick. And I think it's the same for a startup. I mean, a startup is not supposed to survive. A startup is really an experiment for the most likely outcome is that it will not work. And that is absolutely okay. So don't try to make it survive at all costs. Make sure that you lean in on the particular pain aggressively to the end. Now, if the pain is true and honest, you should then figure out if the particular attack angle to remove that pain wasn't often, okay, um, I can take my own example here for where we over-indexed on NLP in the early days and then later learned that perhaps people replying back the next Wednesday at one is one way to solve it. Then clicking a button that says one is equally okay, perhaps sometimes even better. So don't get so married to what you set out to do, but I'm still solving the same thing. So that's certainly my commentary on the pivot. So as long as you got married to that, no, try all sorts of approaches. Surely, then we can talk about how you pick those, but I think it's more one for where as soon as you start to kind of figure out uh, we shouldn't be a podcasting platform, we should be a short messaging platform, and we remember that story of obvious turning into Twitter, and we think we're all supposed to do those kind of dramatic pivots, I disagree with that. That's some sort of survivorship bias for where, yes, I also think that's an awesome story. I also want to be the Twitter of the world. I get it, but I don't really uh, condone it. Yes, so we are finishing up. It's really nice to chat to you and I'll send the book to you. So thank you for joining to Founders of Faker, Dennis. Do that. Give me a signed copy. That would be lovely. Yes, I will do that. Bye. 
by the way, Founders FAQ is in pre-order and it covers the answers to all the possible questions of a founder in a startup journey. Whether revealing life-saving principles for the startup survival path, building A-plus teams, creating an evolving machine, setting up a need culture, or interpreting the true path for the fundraising. You can pre-order it from foundersfq.com and you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook.